This is Bob Bradley, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, coach by coach, story by story. You guessed it, folks. On episode 76, we have the gaffer himself, Mr. Bob Bradley, joining us today. Boys, are you freaking out? Because I'm freaking out a little. We got Bob Bradley on the show. It's uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Super happy. It's going to be intimidating. Right. The two times that I've actually interviewed Bob, it's intimidating, but everybody says that, but it'll be good. It's going to be a lot of fun. Totally. No, he has a strong personality. So, but I know he's always truthful and I'm excited to just have some time with him and pick his brain a little bit, get to know exactly what he's thinking this off season. I'm going to try and calm myself down here just a little bit, but I'm super excited about this. I, I cannot lie. This is uh, definitely going to be the highlight of my podcasting career. And then Bob, obviously, just the kindest, warmest, and uh, most open of people. So I'm sure this will go totally smoothly. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, and if not for anything else, interviewing Bob Bradley, let alone, would be a very, very fun and uplifting episode. But we also got some signings, boys. We got some confirmed signings today. Pew, 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 cap tilts. Woo! What do you guys think? We have... Of course, Kim Moon Kwan, who we talked about in previous episodes. And then there was, of course, the Rich Orozco, obligatory, cryptic Twitter. You know, people thought that he was just trolling us. We had the, the Da Vinci. We had the Rockfish Salmon. And then did you guys end up seeing the actual decoding and how he was putting those things together? Yeah, apparently he spelled out the last name Baird for yeah, Corey so Baird, which none no, of no, us no, just Baird, were right? looking so the something was a that bear, simple. A was an apple. I was ice. I was, was ice. The rockfish. Uh, and then the rock D, was and D was his was dog, dog bear. Wow. Just know that yeah, he must I... have really good. <laughs> he must have really, really high like online security for his passwords. That's what I got. Oh. Out of <laughs> yeah. It, uh, but you know what? I, so I, I talked to him and he was like, nobody does this, right? Like who? He's like, we already know that we had him signed. It's now it's just a matter of let's have some fun with this. And it was fun. It definitely made people if you followed along on the Reddit thread or on any of his Twitter comment threads, people making all sorts of guesses and stuff like that. It was, it's uh, fun. yeah, yeah, definitely off season fun. I find it a little vexing, I think, because I start digging down rabbit holes and I was not looking for something as simple as what we ended up getting, but that's rich. You got us, you got us all. Yeah. That's for sure. I'm curious if we're going to get more, you know, I would think that the off season has just started. We still have four or five weeks, I think, until there's any kind of practices or anything like that. So I'm wondering if there's going to be more of these signings. Well, and we know the season might potentially be pushed back. Looks like a month back is what we are anticipating. So we might have a little bit more time, certainly more time for those players to get acclimated on the training pitch as well, too. Maybe we'll ask Bob about not only these signings, but how he views them incorporating to the squad, how quickly we might expect them to see some first team minutes for us. So many fascinating questions, but why don't we go one by one? We've sort of already offered a lot of thoughts on Moon Kwan Kim, but now that it is official that he is black and gold, what are your guys' thoughts on outside back Kim Moon Kwan joining LAFC? 
I'm excited about it. I think we're going to have uh, our starting right back. The highlights and the conversations we've had internally and with others that know about him seem like they're really high on him. And he was either going to stay in the K-1 league or choose greener pastures. I'm glad he chose and we identified him to come and incorporate himself into our club. I know that TSG is really excited. Shout out to Chris and his write-up that got featured out in Korea, you know, someone yeah, in was, Korea uh, is li- listening to us, which is, you Todd, know. Todd Wild, man. Todd, thank you for, you know, uh, reaching out and contributing. And for any of us, it's we just posted it to Instagram, the article that uh, we helped contribute on. It was uh, kleagueunited.com was the article for its uh, spotlight on Kim Moon Kwan, Busan Eye Parks, nurtured star bound for LAFC. Us and Alicia Rodriguez from Angels on Parade contributed to that. Dude, rubbing elbows with some premium talent there with uh, Angels on Parade. Shouts to Alicia. That is really, really cool. Not only that uh, Korea is paying attention to what's going on here stateside and been following this, but the attention in his homeland. We know that he is potentially going to get a first-team call-up for the Korean national team. And more importantly, what this means to the Korean Americans, Korean Angelinos that we have here in the Ciudad. I'm so excited for the folks at TSG. This is massive for them and for the rest of the greater Korean community here. This is really a really cool signing. Do you guys think he's going to take Palacios or Blackman's spot? Do you think this means Blackman moves over? What are your guys' thoughts about how this affects the starting eleven? Christian, curious to hear what you think. I mean, I think he's going to compete with Blackman. I think my inclinations and things that I've heard Bob say before and Tristan say is he prefers center back. So I think it's Kim Moon-Kwan's position to take. I don't think he'll play on the left, so Palacios is safe in that regard. But who knows, you know, if we need him. I think we're going to have versatility regardless because of the signing. So I think he'll take that spot as a starter. But that's my opinion, my observation at this point. I think that we had touched on the idea that Blackman is more comfortable in a center back position. I think that obviously having versatility is great. And I know in Bob's system likes having players that can play in multiple positions. We saw Segura at, at wing back. Blackman is at wing back. But I think that if we have a designated person who plays in that, that right back position, that allows for more opportunities to fill in on the center back position. And, you know, as of right now, Jesus Mario is still not re-signed. So that could be one of those things too, where if we just don't re-sign him, then we have Segura and Blackman as our center backs uh, are starting. That was initially one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you guys is, do you think this affects the Murillo signing? Or could it be one of those things where, Blackman and Murillo now make up the center back and that gives Segura a chance to move back out to a defensive mid position where we were talking about that as being a need in some of our previous episodes. So would you prefer a back four with Kim Palacios, Segura, Murillo or Segura Blackman? No Murillo. Do you think he's not going to be re-signed? Or do you think it could be Murillo Blackman with Segura moving up into a defensive midfield? Yeah, I, I think that it's obviously good to have these options. I think that initially LAFC would like to re-sign Murillo and having that consistency from the previous season carry over into this new season allows for Kim Moon-Hwan to acclimate you know there's not as much pressure to perform day one out of the gate you know we've seen with other signings when they're new that we want that a lot of times it seems like there's a good 
opportunity for them to be better when they have their own time to get comfortable in the system. So I think that that is a best case scenario that we re-sign Murillo and we have Blackman playing in at the right back position until Bob feels that Kim Moon-Wan is ready and he could be ready first. And then it's, then it's a competition. The competition is always good. You bring up good points there. The ideal situation, if everyone's acclimated and here on the team, there's going to be true competition. My ideal backline would be, and it depends on the opponent. So if the opponent's really good offensively, it's probably Murillo and Segura with uh, Kim Moon-Kwan and Palacios. If they're offensively equal or less, then I'm okay with having Blackman and Murillo back there with Kim Moon-Kwan and Palacios. And Segura, also Segura, the team is really good offensively. Segura having him in front of them too would be great. But I think I haven't seen him prove himself in the offensive capacity extensively because we don't have that sample size, right? So we'll see. It, it's just I'd rather have all of them, including Murillo, because it allows us to be more competitive in a long, drawn-out season. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I, I do think if we've learned one thing from Bob, and perhaps we'll get a chance to ask him this in a second when he jumps on and joins us, but we do know that he's not one that is pretty quick to incorporate a player into first-team minutes. So I would anticipate everything sort of staying somewhat static as it is now until we get a few more games under our belt, some substitutions and, and let players sort of slowly work their way in seems to be something that he has done with signings in the past, but we shall see. And, and we'll get to ask him that question here in just a moment. In addition to the signing of Moon Kwan Kim, we also have Corey Baird joining us from Real Salt Lake for $500,000 worth of allocation money, a 2021 international roster spot, and additional considerations, which typically means that there is some incentive-laden parts to the deal as well, too. You know, if the player gets X number of minutes or goals or something, that there could be some additional, perhaps, money or roster spots going to RSL. Your guys' initial thoughts on the transfer, and then we'll discuss the player. So what are your thoughts? And Chris, we'll start with you on $500,000 and an international spot for the 2018 Rookie of the Year. I think we got him for a steal. He was somebody that was definitely, he had a bigger presence in the RSL squad as of last year from the matches. And we saw RSL plenty of times because of, because we were limited on who our opponents could be because of the COVID pandemic. I feel like the amount of times that we saw him, it was impressive. He is a young, talented player. He has been called up for the U.S. men's national team, I believe four times. It's exciting. I am excited to see what he has to offer. And I uh, saw someone talking about, hopefully he turns into a true number nine. And if that works in our system and we can uh, utilize him that way, I think that that would be great. Christian, your thoughts on the transfer itself, not just the play. Transfer, I mean, it, well, I remember reading that it's 500 in general allocation money over three years. So oh, there's a little bit of a hedge there. I'm sure there are incentives, like you said, Jonathan. But what I like is this is an immediate impact player, understands the league, has been here for a few years. It's dynamic, it's quick. So I think instead of 
going with a player that we're going to try to develop or try to incorporate, I think he can be kind of a quick plug and play, give Mazowski immediate competition for playing time. So that's what I like about it. It feels like the two moves so far are putting our foot on the gas pedal and really going for it this year, more so than 2020, because 2020 was kind of a very odd year. I think we're hoping and we're understanding of what the worst case scenario could be from a a sporting perspective and just incorporating players that will give us depth and more competition. I'm very optimistic about the two signings so far and who knows who else we're going to get. Indeed. Still, fingers crossed, a Murillo signing, re-signing coming up here shortly. One can only hope. The club did put out uh, some social media sort of bio stuff around him, which leads me to believe he's coming back. But we know that negotiation is ongoing. $500,000 is a healthy chunk of change to dish out. But for an RSL homegrown talent, a U.S. international, someone who's incredibly young, yes, I mean, obviously the last season was not the greatest statistical season, but then again, he was playing on RSL and, and that whole franchise seems to kind of be falling apart. So who knows? Their entire attack was just like, let the kid run and kick it hard. So who knows how he's actually going to play once he's integrated into a better system like LAFC has. But $500,000, the international spot is a little interesting. I believe that means we are currently one international player over our slot limit, which means we either need to acquire a slot, get some green cards for players that are already here currently occupying an international slot, or it means Mario is not coming back. Or Rossi's so being sold. Or Rossi's being sold. I mean, let's be honest. We went out and spent half a million dollars on a player that right now is behind three DPs on the depth chart. So maybe we'll see in a little bit later when we speak with Bob Bradley, what his thoughts are on the player acquisition, how that fits within the roster machinations of him being up front with three DPs already occupying our attack. And to be curious to see whether or not he touches on perhaps the potential sale of a Rossi or a Rodriguez when we speak with him. Okay. So let's talk about the player himself. We know he's incredibly fast. I believe MLS had him rated as the fastest player in the league. Now, that's sort of interesting when you think about LAFC as a team that builds out of the back and what that means for us tactically. Oftentimes, we have seen LAFC very successful on the counterattack, very successful when uh, a midfield press becomes a turnover and some of those pressing players. And, and we also know based on his assessment as well, too, that Corey is a player that is not shy about pressing. So given that speed and pressing are at the top of his game and maybe some of that scoring ability yet to fully develop, what are your thoughts about the player himself? Let's go to our X's and O's man, Christian. Why don't you give us your initial thoughts on the player as he performs on the pitch and how that fits into the LAFC system? Oh, what I like about the signing is – he could play anywhere on the top three in a 4-3-3 system. So he could play left wing, right wing. He could play a true number nine or a false number nine. And he reminds me maybe of a young MLS version of Kun Aguero when he was at Atletico Madrid, meaning that the guy knows how to receive the ball. He knows how to press. He knows how to pass. He knows how to score. I mean, he's obviously very, very fast. So that's why I'm optimistic. And like I said, he doesn't have to be acclimated. He's from SoCal. I recall him being from Escondido. He doesn't uh, need to, you know, culturally become in tune with the country, the travel. So I think, you know, they checked off all the boxes 
while still getting a player that is young and approaching their prime. So I'm excited about it. And uh, being able to have someone that comes and receives the ball and also can get in behind and can shoot with both feet and, you know, can, has shown composure in front of goal, which I think was some of our downfall at times. And true competition for Muzowski, who is our lone striker at the moment. And Baird might be able to overtake him if he can get into his form from a couple of years ago. Hey, don't forget about Opoku now. Shouts to Bob, who, uh, you know, for yelling Mala on the sideline, which will forever go down as one of our absolute favorite black and gold moments. No, that's, uh, that was he, key. But he's a winger, though. Like, he doesn't play in the middle, really. It's true. It's true. Touche. Well, with that, I think we should get ready, boys. It's time for the interview. You guys ready for Bob to come on? Yeah, let's go uh, kick down that training room door and stick a microphone in the face of Mr. Bradley here. Joining us now is coach of LAFC, Bob Bradley, your three-time coach of the year, 2007 Gold Cup winner, 98 MLS Cup winner, 98 and 2000 U.S. Open Cup winner, your 2019 Supporters' Shield winner, and of course, your 2021 United Soccer Coaches Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Bob Bradley. What an honor. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be here, ready to talk a little football with you guys, talk about LAFC, anything you'd like. Bob, before we get into our questions, there is big news today for LAFC, so we wanted to get your reaction on the two most recent signings. We sure. did have Corey Baird, formerly of Real Salt Lake, and then Kim Moon Kwan from Busan I Park at the K-League. So uh, what are your thoughts? What are you feeling at this moment in terms of incorporating him onto the LAFC squad? Excited to bring both to LAFC. Corey, obviously, we know from playing against him, I think he can play anywhere along the front, uh, any of the three spots. We really like the fact that he's a direct attacker. He's got speed. He makes the kind of deep runs where he's a threat. And, you know, part of the way we try to attack is to make sure that as we're moving the ball, we're also getting these kind of deep runs where defenders have to respect that. I think he can also play, we can work with him as a version of a Firmino-like number nine who does a lot of work, helps us press. So uh, he's a player that fits well with some of our ideas. And, and we're always hopeful that we can get a guy at the right time and the way we train, the way we play fits and they're ready for new challenges. So I, I think in those ways, Corey's a really good addition. Kim is energetic, quick, mobile, right back. Can also play further up the field on the right, but he brings real energy when we play in transition and when we're in some of our vertical moments and he's on the move, he's a guy who can join in, he's a guy who can recover. He's done well in terms of creating some chances with crosses and with balls played across. It's hard to know exactly what kind of details they work on with him. You know that we also like to invert our fullbacks at times. And when our wide attackers stay wide, we want our fullbacks to be able to move inside. So there's things that we've got to get to know better. But the starting points of his age, his, his experience, his speed, his, his energy and quickness. We, we are really excited uh, about how we can fit that in. Well, this is fantastic news. The freshest news, literally hot off the presses, not 30 minutes before we clicked record on tonight's episode. But perhaps to go from the freshest of news to the oldest possible news, if we could rewind the clock, Bob, and tell us, how you fell in love with the beautiful game. We know your storied career as it has spanned the globe, but what we've never heard is how you fell in love with this game. I was lucky that in different moments, I came across 
people that took an interest. I went to a high school where we had a legendary coach, and sadly enough, he passed away just this week. His name is Ralph Dugan. He was 87 years old, and in New Jersey, he was a little bit of a Jersey version of Brian Clough. He was uh, really ahead of his time, and because of his presence, playing soccer at our high school was a big deal, and uh, to show you how much ahead of things he was. He hired a, he was also a history teacher, but a young Italian-American teacher coach named Tony Benevento. And Tony used to run training and Ralph would come in and give the team talks. And Tony saw me play in gym class and saw something. And that was when I was in seventh grade. Prior to that, I, I played all sports. Ah, even after that, I still played other sports. My brothers and I, we lived across the street from the grammar school, there was field, there were basketball courts. Uh, in our town, there was a little pond where we could play ice hockey. So we grew up playing sports, but because high school soccer in our town was a big deal, that's where uh, I started to, to put more and more time. As Jonathan had mentioned, you know, you have spent a lot of time here in the MLS. In what ways have you seen the MLS change from your initial stint in comparison to uh, your time now with LAFC? Whoa. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, look, at the beginning, we weren't lucky to have stadiums like Bank of California. The first few years of the league, some of the different stadiums that they used, uh, the Ohio State still playing in the horseshoe on a field that was probably barely over 50 yards wide. So now some of the new stadiums, obviously, as the game has grown, what I really love is that there are more and more teams where when you watch them play, you can see real identities. You can see playing styles. That's something that we talked about from the beginning at LAFC, that we needed to have a team that when you came to watch us play, you could see something special, that there was a way of going forward, of creating chances, of winning the ball back. And it wasn't like every time you showed up, we, we had a whole different idea on how to play. And I really believe strongly that the idea that you have this kind of philosophy and that you stick with it and that you develop players within the framework of how you want to play is really important. And it's something that we take a lot of pride in at LAFC. And, and I think our supporters appreciate the football and the identity and those ways. That's part of the reason that the, the connection that we have with our supporters, with the city is, is so strong. So speaking of a connection between supporters and city and perhaps tying into some experiences you've had in your coaching career previous to LAFC, while you were in Egypt coaching the national team, you had to experience what was an absolutely horrific bout of violence and then participated in the unity and protests and march that were a result of those experiences. And in looking at what has transpired here in the United States in the past couple weeks, do you have some similarities between your experiences in Egypt and how you're going to go into a locker room and speak to people that we know have been heavily involved in social justice movements? And how do you address issues like that with the players? And, and does your experience in Egypt help you sort of coach them through these moments? Yes, the experiences in Egypt were so important. And sadly enough, things that I saw in Egypt remind me of moments uh, in the United States. So I'll give you a few thoughts. February 1st, 2012 was when there was the massacre in the stadium in Port Said. And it's a massacre because it was not just fan violence. It was 
um, that people who had supported Mubarak uh, and some of the forces beneath the surface uh, wanted to attack the young Ali fans that came to the stadium. And the game ended and all of the people ran on the field. And the, the first thing that I remembered thinking was that there were security forces on the field, but they weren't doing anything. And so when I watched events last Wednesday, first I would want to say that as we've seen more and more video, there have been some incredibly heroic efforts from some of the Capitol Police Force. I mean, the one man that led the thugs up the stairs and then realized that there was an open door and took them in the opposite direction, he's a hero. Sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now. I'm thinking maybe Eugene was his first name, but I mean, that was a heroic effort. And so there were many people that uh, absolutely did their part, but obviously we hear news in recent days and we've seen pictures of some others that didn't look like they were doing their part and they were opening up gates and letting people basically come walking straight in. So when I see that, and then the aftermath where it was so hard to get facts, so hard to know the truth, that is still something that I saw right away in Egypt, that it was impossible for the average person to know the truth. And there were so many conspiracy theories and so many things that got repeated over and over. And people thought that they were true. And that form of brainwashing and that form of, you know, in a way, radicalization in that part of the world, you know that you can always see what's on the surface, but there are so many forces at work beneath the surface. And that's what you're trying to keep track of. And I think that that's become more and more the case in our country. The actions last week were disgraceful, but now hopefully there are enough people who feel the same way and moving forward there, we can get real answers and we can hold people accountable and we can make sure that leadership can be trusted in the most important ways. Uh, you know, leadership is challenging just because you in a certain moment get elected or because you get an opportunity to coach a team or head up a school district or a neighborhood group, anything. When you get that chance, your ability to be responsible, to listen, to be accountable. One of the things that I believe in is that when you stand in front of people, it has to be about the team. It has to be about the group, the country. It can never be about you. And that your ability to be honest and make sure that when you say things, people trust you. And we've seen that just go off the rails in too many ways, too many enablers, too many people who look the other way. Some of those discussions are still going on in terms of how to handle the last days of this presidency. So hopefully there are enough people who learn lessons. It's a reminder that every time you, you go to the polls, more important than simply voting along party lines would be looking hard at the people and asking yourself whether or not you can trust them and whether or not they're gonna lead for everyone and not just in ways that are good for certain people. Bob, speaking in leadership and doing what you say and saying what you do, what I would give to be a fly on the wall when you got that first call from the LAFC ownership group, what made you feel like they were gonna 
propose this footballing project, their vision, and allowing you, your staff, and the community to be a cornerstone of what, you know, the club has become and what we all love? Uh, it was a process. You know, I had come to L.A. a couple of different times and had a chance to talk to John Thorington, Larry Friedman, and I started to get a little bit of an idea of what they were thinking about. Obviously, everyone had read the news of some of the ownership group, but more importantly, the opportunity to share with them some of my ideas and to let them know that I was very set that to come back to a, a club in MLS, I wanted to be clear that playing a certain style of football, having a real connection with supporters, I loved the fact that the stadium was in the heart and soul of the city that you have this vision and this idea of how you're going to be connected with supporters. You know, when you travel around the world in football, one of the things that becomes so important is this connection that you have, this feeling that you are more than just a team, that you are a club and that you, you are connected with your supporters and with a city that you stand for real values. And so when we started sharing some of these ideas, I really appreciated what was going on. There were already people inside LAFC before there was a coach, before there were players that were going out in different neighborhoods and starting to talk about what we were going to try to do. And I, I could see that there was momentum and I believed in the vision of the ownership. And, and I really, I don't know if any of you guys ever had a chance at that time, many of the people who are working at LAFC worked out of the Experience Center. And the Experience Center was just an awesome place, man. It, every time you went there, you just felt uh, so much energy, so much positivity about what was going on. And I really felt that we could do something together that would be special. And so it was a process of discussions. And then in the end, when I heard from Larry Berg that they would like to offer me the job, I had already covered all the details because we had gotten to know each other in a way that made it very clear that, that we were all on the same page. So it was a proud moment. You know, Bob, we only have a couple more minutes, so we're just going to ask you one, maybe two more questions. We signed three players from our academy this past season, and that was a huge step for LAFC. What do you feel? is on the horizon for us as a club with our academy players and you know what areas or positions do you feel is a priority for us in terms of depth the academy has been built sort of from the ground up and so we started with just a couple teams and every year of course we add a team as guys get older and it was a big step last year that christian torres and tony leone and eric duenas could make the step into the first team. In the early parts of preseason, we also had three or four other academy players training with us at one time or another, and we could see that things were going in the right direction. The fact that we're all here in the same building and that between our staff and Todd Saldana and Enrique Duran and their staff, uh, good discussions, sharing of ideas, those are important things because the connection with how we want to play has to be passed down. There's got to be a real model in place of not only how you play, but how you act and standards and what it means to be part of LAFC. And from the beginning, you could see with these players that those things were all really well established. We all know that with the pandemic, we lost a little time. I mean, the academy this year didn't get as many really good training sessions. and 
the ability to have the academy coaches here with us every day. Some of those things at least temporarily got pushed aside, but we're committed uh, certainly from the ownership. We know how important it is to them that this academy, our ability to find talent, local talent, just like we do in South America. And just like now we've added some players from Africa and, you know, we continue to try to expand our scouting. You know, when you ask about where we need depth, we're coming onto an interesting period because there are players that now have done really well for us. And there's interest in some of these players from clubs around the world. And so everybody knows that Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez and Edward Atuesta, these are young players that people recognize how talented they are. And one of the things that we said is that if we could find young talent and, and develop young talent, then the moments would come when we would need to sell. And then when that happens, that's why we need to continue to find ways to bring in more new talent. So when you think about the three players from our academy, when you think about uh, how this year we added Mohamed Traore and then uh, Mahala and the contributions late in the year that we got from Mahala, Bryce Duke, another young player. So we've got to continue to work not only to, to bring players through our academy, but to use our scouting to find the right kind of players, the right profiles that fit in with the way we want to play. Well, I know we don't have much of your time, so I think we will go ahead and skip grilling you about our tactical questions here. Uh, so you're off the hook for having to speak about set pieces with us today, but we do have one last question for you, Bob. It is the name of our show. It is a question we ask every single guest at the end of the interview. And that, Bob, is what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Shoulder to shoulder means that we stand together in terms of how we play, how we support the club, how we're part of a community, how we're part of a city, that our vision, not only of football, but um, I know we like to talk about being a force for good. Uh, those can't just be words. That's got to be real. This past year, man, we've been tested. Uh, so many people from the LAFC community impacted by the pandemic. You know, we've got essential workers. We've got people who, who are out doing the jobs that matter most in these really trying times. And the ability that we have to support each other, believe in what we're doing and know that our football, our commitment, our support of each other is always there. So that's what shoulder to shoulder means. Great. Thank you very much, Bob, for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck for this upcoming season, and we hope to see you out there on the pitch soon. All right, yeah. guys. Bob, appreciate it very much. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much, Bob Bradley, for joining us on the show, and thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Episode 76 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. As always, you can find us on all your social media platforms at LAFCS, the number two S, on any of your social media platforms. And thank you all so much for listening. You can reach out to us anytime via those platforms or emailing Chris, Christian, or Jonathan at LAFCS2S if you would like to join us on the show. We would love to have our listeners from anywhere in the world join us and speak a little footy with us and talk some black and gold. So on behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilton, and myself, thank you all so much for listening to our interview with Bob. 
Take us home, Sticks.